This is Amy Poehler. My new movie, Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2, is coming to theaters June 14th, and it's making me feel joy and sadness and anger. Definitely some disgust. Rose! And I think a little fear. But I'm also feeling these new emotions like anxiety, embarrassment, envy, and ennui. It's what you call the boredom. Okay, that one was weird. It's going to be the feel-everything movie of the summer. Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. Rated PG. Parental guidance suggested. Only in theaters June 14. Get tickets now. Welcome to Don't Let This Flop, a podcast about internet culture brought to you by Rolling Stone. Where two smart people talk about the dumbest shit that happened online this week. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm EJ Dixon. We have a pretty good peg for Is the Queen Dead this week. Yeah, I mean, I still believe that she's dead, but EJ, what's going on? Well, apparently she's not. (laughs) 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 That was at least the primary takeaway. There was the Jubilee celebration. This year, I guess there are different kinds of jubilees. What is the jubilee celebration? So this is the platinum jubilee. Is that just like her birthday? No, it's 70 years since she was like sworn in as queen. That's cute. Right? Because she was like, I guess that made her like 26 when she was sworn in as queen. I don't I don't have like an encyclopedic memory of the crown. Should I call my work anniversary my jubilee? (laughs) (laughs) Britney's neon jubilee for working at Rolling Stone. What jubilee would it be? Would it be your 10th jubilee, your anniversary? I'm going to hit eight in January. My work anniversary is also Zayn Malik's birthday. That's how (laughs) I um, count time. (laughs) It's how many Zayn Malik birthdays have I worked at Rolling Stone and it'll be eight in January. Is that like the biblical years, like uh, four score and seven years or something? AZ after Zane. Well, this was 70 years. This was the Platinum Jubilee. And she missed most of the festivities because she had difficulty walking, which I assume you would probably say is a euphemism for being dead. Seems pretty dead, but go on. She did do a sketch with Paddington. Did you see that? I couldn't watch it because the picture really took me out. I saw a screenshot of them sitting at a table and it just like bothered me that the queen and Paddington were the same size. Like that just feels (laughs) wrong. That feels like incorrect. I don't think the queen is Paddington size. I think Paddington is smaller than the queen. She's a very small woman. I don't think she's teddy bear size. Isn't Paddington like just a a teddy bear? I've never seen Paddington. I was going to ask how familiar are you with the Paddington canon? I'm not. I my familiarity with Paddington and the size of Paddington is that guy who photoshopped Paddington into various movies and TV shows every single day. I don't know if you've seen that Twitter account. It's pretty incredible. But Paddington's always really small in it. So I just assumed that Paddington was a small little bear. Yeah, it's a little confusing. But she revealed what's in her famous handbag during this sketch that aired before the big concert Mm -hmm. on Saturday. Um, Perhaps you would like a marmalade sandwich. I always keep one for emergencies. So do I. I keep mine in here. Oh. For later. And she did a good job. I mean, it was a little Polar Expressy. Like, they use the same technology that ABBA's using in their, like, avatar residency. Right, which makes sense because she also appeared in hologram form as a younger version of herself in a carriage during the Jubilee weekend. It's giving dead. Yeah. I mean, that's certainly, you know, hiring somebody to make a hologram of a younger version of yourself certainly does not do much to dispel rumors of the soft launch of your death. Yeah. But then on Sunday, she did make an IRL appearance on the balcony in an emerald green power suit, no less. 
Yeah. So what? How does that square with your theory? It's um, giving Avril Lavigne impersonator comes on. Do you think that somebody made her like a 96 year old lady fursuit? Like the queen is wearing like a fursona? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> they just hired like a small person. I feel like they just like they hired the same person they hired to like impersonate Melania Trump that one time. Do you remember that day? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's just the same person. But the queen. Do you care about the Jubilee? I clearly do not because I thought it was her birthday celebration. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh, yeah, we're celebrating the Queen's birthday. Of course, she's a Gemini. (laughs) (laughs) It's her work anniversary. So congrats to 70 years of service, Queen Elizabeth. It is her work anniversary. I wonder if people sent her messages in Slack. She got a bunch of LinkedIn messages. Yeah. (laughs) Please please wish Queen Elizabeth a happy 70th work anniversary. Straight people. We have a rare non-relationship centered straight people segment today and that is because the straight white men have gone further off the rails than usual and i'm very excited for this one i've been very very excited for these two people to talk about them first up is liam payne just want to say a massive happy pride month to liam payne liam has recently come out as a bit of a twat and for entertainment purposes liam we are all supportive keep going and making us laugh Again, as I, I count years by Zayn Malik's birthday, I certainly don't count them by Liam Payne's birthday. Right. Because his last name is deeply appropriate this week because he has wrought so much pain for a variety of directioners. I don't know if you saw this, EJ, but Liam went on Logan Paul's podcast, Impulsive, to do this lengthy interview. And it was kind of like, uh, it was unclear when the interview was recorded because it was really weird timing for Liam. And there was already a lot of controversy and a lot of like, fan anger towards him because the timing was just like he had been embroiled in this really messy breakup and alleged cheating scandal with his now ex-fiance Maya Henry and basically like another girl posted a couple photos that aren't like clearly Liam's face but you can tell he has like very distinctive tattoos as all of the One Direction dudes do like he has like all these like awful tattoos they can easily tell are him because a lot of One Direction fans tend to be really mean to the partners of the boys. A lot of them were tagging Maya in photos on their fan pages of Liam holding this other girl. And Maya was commenting on them and saying that it was really painful to be tagged into these photos. So there was already that mess was happening the week before. But the podcast was not damage control for all of this. It was damage creation, really, for Liam Payne. And he just said a number of insane things. The directioners were losing on Twitter, on TikTok. And we're going to break this down first by the delusions, because the delusions were a big part of this. Yeah, we did the first song, Billion Streams. I think it outsold everybody within the band and I was the last to go. So in the podcast, Liam claimed to have outsold his One Direction bandmates. Now, this was the most egregious thing that he said in the podcast. He said that his debut single, Strip That Down, featuring Quavo from Migos, was the first to crack a billion listens on Spotify. And it was also the last of the debut singles by the One Direction members to be released as solo artists. So I'm not sure who has been lying to Liam. I'm not sure if it's someone on his team. I'm not sure if it's just himself. Does someone go in and edit the Spotify page and like make it look different for him. I don't know, but you can literally see the numbers on Spotify and a quick Google search could also have saved him from this sheer embarrassment. 
because not only has stripped that down, not even cracked a billion, he is the only member of the band to have not done so on the streaming platform, which is just a humiliating thing to be caught in a lie. Wait, really? You know that my One Direction knowledge isn't as like robust as yours. Every other member has had at least one song that's hit a billion. This is the thing with Liam and with all the other members, they all have really huge fandoms. So even though Louis isn't like a Harry level or a Zayn level, or even like Niall's done really, really well as a solo artist. Louis has a huge, huge fandom around him. Like these, the, the guys, those guys have the charm to maintain a really big solo fandom. Liam, he does have a, a, a fandom around him, but it's just not doing numbers the way that the other guys were. So he's the only member who has not had that sort of success on Spotify. His album didn't do very well. He has not had maybe the closest to a hit single that he's had is the one that he did with Rita Ora for one of the Fifty Shades movies. Like, that did moderately well. And Strip That Down did moderately well. But, like, again, he is the only member to have not even reached a billion. So this was a very embarrassing lie to be caught in. And so there's another claim that he made that many saw as delusional, and I think it seemed more delusional in the context of the streaming snafu. But I actually want to defend Liam on this part of the interview. So, cause it's caught, it caused a lot of controversy and I honestly think he's telling the truth. So in the interview, he said that Simon Cowell, who was a judge and producer on X Factor and had created One Direction on the show, had told Liam that the band was essentially created for him. What I've heard is that like, part of the reason One Direction was made was because of Simon's promise to me that in two years, I'll make this work for you. Wow. So he kind of started with my face and then worked around the, the, the rest. I've never told that story before. So. You, you, were, you wow. were the inception. I was the honorary member of One Direction, yes. And he told me that story himself in his house. Liam actually had auditioned for X Factor two years before One Direction was formed on the show. He auditioned solo both times, like as every other member had. But he's the only one who had been on the show previously. And Simon had taken a liking to him the, during the first audition. And... When he came back, he basically told him to come back when he was more mature and more ready for the competition. And he was only a teenager. I think he was like 16, 17 by the time that he was on the show a second time. And then Simon put him through. So I actually see this as entirely plausible because Simon, again, had been impressed with Liam even the first time and had encouraged him to come back a second time. And it was very clear if you watch X Factor, if you watch the performances, if you listen to the very first One Direction album, you look at all the interviews... Liam is kind of positioned as the de facto band leader. He gets the most solos. He's kind of the one in, that's centered in a lot of the photos and centered in a lot of the performances. And it seems very clear that he was sort of seen as like the, you know, the best singer in the group at this point. But a lot of people took issue with this again because of the the streaming delusion and kind of the way that Liam sees his own solo success, which is not on par with what it what his vision of it is. But yeah, I, I would like to defend Liam on that. A lot of people said that he was J.C. Shaw's aide, which I think is also very true about that. But J.C., I mean, the parallel there is that J.C. also is arguably the strongest singer. Yeah. And, and I think anybody looking at like the trajectory of NSYNC would have assumed that either Justin or J.C. would have been the breakout from that group at first. Like, it's not totally outside of the realm of possibility that J.C. would have been the Harry of NSYNC. Yeah, and I think that's the thing with Liam, too. Like, Liam had the best solo audition by far when he, you know, when you watch back the solo auditions Liam was the most you know confident he was the one who sang the he did like this Michael Buble song he just like really really sang the hell out of it and 
did very well with the solos that he was given very early on. But I think Harry grew very quickly. Zayn had a better range than Liam. Like, very clear that they grew in a way that Liam didn't necessarily grow as quickly in in the group. It Yeah, it just seems like he's really embittered about the trajectory of his, like, solo career and his success after the group, which is really understandable, honestly. Oh, yeah. I could see it being very frustrating for, I mean, you know, I think especially the timing, like, Harry's having the most success that he's had in his, in his entire career right now. Like, he's literally everywhere. And so, I like, I think seeing success like that happen, I mean, Niall surprised a lot. A lot of people did not think Niall would have the solo career he's had. And he's had, like, an incredible solo career. He's done very well album-wise, single-wise. Like, he is has, like, these huge tours. So I think, you know, there's probably some frustration. Like, Liam hasn't gone on... Yeah, he hasn't gone on any tours. He's played some one-off shows and done jingle balls and things like that. Radio festivals and concerts, but he hasn't been able to tour. Louis just finished a massive world tour. Zayn has never toured, but he's, you know, his first album was a huge success for him that, like, really set the tone and the bar for what the others should be doing after. Obviously, it has not maintained that, but he also refuses to tour, and there's a lot of mess around Zayn, which is the other part of the interview that people were upset with. I, listen, 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 listen. Before, we, before we go, before we go too deeply into this, there's, there's, there's many reasons why I, I dislike Zayn, and there's many reasons why I'll always, always be on his side. And listen, I don't agree with any of his actions. I can't commend some of the things that he's done. I can't be on his side for that. What I can say is I understand, and I hope that <laughs> your only help, hope is that at some point in their life, the person on the other end of the phone wants to receive the help that you're willing to. Liam was airing out all the dirty laundry of the group, Zayn Malik in particular. And a lot of fans were really, really upset about this. And I think a lot of younger directioners felt like their childhoods were being ruined by knowing that some of the bandmates low-key hated each other. Like Liam points out that he didn't get along with Louis and that he didn't get along with Zayn at times. Um, And I think the older ones were just annoyed that Liam was speaking on Zayn's troubles in particular, talking about what's been going on with Zayn and the mother of his child, Gigi Hadid, and a lot of the family drama that's been going on between him and them as well as like a feud that he had with Jake Paul that Logan Paul brings up and that Liam weighs in on. It's just kind of messy. He says some things that he speaks on Zayn's personal life and his relationship with his family in a way that's a little intrusive and weird to speak on when he also kind of makes it clear that they're not very close anymore. So it's a little, it's just like a him sticking his nose in things that he probably shouldn't. And so Liam has apologized for it. He hasn't talked about any other part of the interview, but he has apologized for the Zayn comments and owned up to the fact that he should not have probably said them. But of course, this this has led to Liam being incredibly roasted for the last week all over TikTok, all over Twitter. Like my entire TikTok for you page has just been Liam Payne for the last like week and a half. Everyone from Lizzo to the singer um, Cheryl Lloyd, who has the song Swagger Jagger, and even Payne's ex Maya Henry have all made videos referencing the interview, which is super messy, especially Maya weighing in on all of this. So Liam, I'm just so, it's so worrisome. I'm a little worried. I have, I've always rooted for all my boys in one direction, but it does seem like it's a, a downhill slope for, for Liam from here. I think the moral of the story is ultimately not to go on a Paul Brothers podcast. Yes. Because that, that, that just seems like a recipe for destruction. I think that's a good way people should be thinking of their lives, of their any sort of press that they want to receive. I don't think that's the best place to go. But at the same time, I mean, I don't think this is the first podcast that's like broken news. Like the first episode that's broken news. Maybe he's like Katie Couric now. He's like Gen Z Katie Couric. Like maybe we're not pay- we're like denigrating him, but we should be paying more attention to him as like a journalistic force. Yeah, I feel like maybe 
people feel empowered to be their fullest asshole selves around him. You know, that's a skill as in like for an interviewer. That is a skill. That is a very particular skill set. And which we'll discuss later (laughs) for our himbo segment. (laughs) So the other straight people news we have is a little glee news. We have Matthew Morrison being fired from his job judging So You Think You Can Dance, which is a show I did not realize was still on. And he was allegedly sending flirty messages to a contestant. And to rebuke those claims, he posted a very theater kid video of him reading the message. I don't know what you think about the video, EJ, but I think it was kind of a messy video. Bitch, no one wanted to talk about you for years and years. (laughs) Nobody's wanted to talk about you since 2009, except for Gen Z kids who make fun of what a flop you are. Yeah. As a human being. Like, that's all I've been seeing. Like, pretty much ever since I downloaded TikTok in like 2019, it's just been wall to wall. Fuck Matthew Morrison content. Like, he is a villain. The thing is, he's just, like, in this can't-win period that... Everybody deserves access to health care. Unless you're... ...is really the ultimate flop era that someone can be in. And it's just... It's not even innately his fault, right? Like, it's a character that he played that's made him so kind of roastable, I feel. Like, people really just love roasting the character of Will Schuster, which is rooted in a lot of the things that make Matthew Morrison who Matthew Morrison is. Like, the, all of the dancing, all of, you know, the, his style of singing, the way that he sings things. Like, it's not, you know, we can't blame just the writing for this. It's just, like, the way he acts out this character. And, I mean, the character itself is just, like, one of the worst characters and also not clearly intended to be as roastable and awful as people have interpreted Will Schuster over the years. Will Schuster is meant to be the protagonist of Glee. That's the one thing. He's the man who like pulls together this so choir. inappropriate. And that's the point of it is like Will Schuster is supposed to be the charming protagonist of the show. Like that's kind of what like the base level of Glee is built upon is the idea that this well-meaning teacher pulls together these misfit kids and makes a show choir. But all he does is sing creepy songs. He has like weird relationships with another. He has a weird relationship with another teacher who like, I don't know. It's like there's a bunch of like weird shit that he does. And like he's just really creepy as a character. It's like all things that would get someone sentenced to life in prison if this were a real person. And the character is just so it just becomes even worse. And so by default, millennials and really glee obsessed Gen Z kids have a bad taste in their mouth when they think of Matthew Morrison because he's so hard to like pull apart from how cringe Will Schuster is as a character. So it's like a really tricky spot to be in as like a performer and as an actor when like the character that's supposed to ideally be the big breakout of your career is also just like has made you so hateable on every level by every single person who's watched that show yeah and he hasn't done anything of significance since glee except for so you think you can dance apparently which by the way i I, if he were asking me that question i would say no i don't think you can matthew morrison i've always (laughs) found it weird that he started out as i mean that's another thing about him too is that like i've been following him since like the very early 2000s because i was one of those like broadway obsessed kids who would like yeah uh, you know idolize the cast of rent and like the original broadway cast of hairspray and he was like very well known he was kind of the Aaron Tveit of the early aughts like he was one of the theater yeah. like the broadway heartthrobs and he was also kind of known for fuckboy behavior even like way back then so and that kind of plays into like the hatred of him so much yeah and also i think on top of this the the fact that he sent a dm to a contestant to just to like go back to the reason why 
it's like weird in and of, in and of itself. Like apparently he had sent a DM to this contestant to try to help them get a job as a choreographer on the show. But it's like unclear, like, okay, but like, why are you DMing a contestant who's like probably already competing on the show? Like, why? Like, I don't know. It's just like really, it's weird that he. And he's a judge. It's Will Schuster behavior. Yeah. Like, you're not supposed to DM a contestant, like, period. Like, you do the networking things afterwards. And also, that's not your place. Like, what are you doing? So. It's the same thing as the show. Like, why is Leah Michelle getting all the solos when Amber Riley is right there looking at you in the face? Yes. Same thing. Just very bad weeks all around for Liam and Matthew. And it's also been hilarious to kind of see people place them together and call this like the Matthew Morrisonification of Liam Payne and Liam <laughs> becoming just the least likable member of One Direction by default. And I don't know. I don't really even know how to explain what that means, to be honest. But it's an intangible vibe that they now both share of being cringe and just generally sucking. So I don't know. Let's hope it's not any more downhill for either of them from here, even though it probably will be. That would be very hard. I mean, Liam Payne in particular would probably have to like eat a baby in order for his career to go further downhill from here. I know. I just, I want better for him. I want better for him. I don't want better for Matthew Morrison. I don't care about Matthew Morrison, but like (laughs) I want, I want better for Liam Payne. Like I'm always going to, I'm going to ride or die for all my One Direction boys. I want more for him. It's also really homophobic, like, in itself, that these two people are, like, existing during Pride Month, I feel. Yeah. You know, and, like, doing doing these things. Like, not that anything they said was, like, overtly homophobic, <laughs> but just, like, just, like, them being in the pop culture ether, just, like, it, it just strikes me as homophobic. I yeah. can't explain why. There, there's homophobic vibes, and it's, again, it's much like calling it the Matthew Morrisonification of Liam Payne. Like, it's intangible. Speaking of which, let's move on to Moral Panic. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The answers can be found in the MTV video games. As we discussed last week, it's Pride Month. And as a result, a bunch of corporations have made half-hearted efforts to pretend to support the queer community. Right now, the GOP is moving from demonizing Disney, which we talked about a couple weeks ago, to setting their sights on the pizza chain with the third most charismatic mascot of all time. Can you guess which one I'm referring to? What mascot? I am speaking, of course, of Pizza Hut. (laughs) And the mascot is Pizza Pete. You're not aware of Pizza Pete. Famous, famous name that we, we all know and love, Pizza Pete. Everybody stands Pizza Pete. He was an effete French guy with a bowler hat who was phased out in the 70s in favor of the frankly far more boring and less iconically gay Red Roof logo. If you know, you know about Pizza Pete and and now you know. I mean, I would say the most charismatic, not to get too on a tangent, but I would say the most charismatic pizza mascot is the Noid, followed by the guy from Little Caesar. Would you agree with that? Or do do you have strong opinion? (laughs) Wait, do I think that the Little Caesar mascot is the most annoying? Charismatic. Charismatic. I was <laughs> like, I metric. don't know. I was like, that's I don't find them annoying. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, sure. Let's go with that. I, I'll agree to support you. Pizza Pete is not why the right is attacking Pizza Hut 
currently. It's because they have this program to encourage literacy, which is called Book It, where you can get a free personal pan pizza if you read a certain amount of books. Did you ever do this? It sounds really familiar. I don't think I did that, though. It sounds like something I would have loved. But instead, they made us sell Entertainment Weekly magazine subscriptions for some reason. We did have to do that. Did you get those Weeples if you sold enough magazine subscriptions? I have never heard of a Weeple in my life. I don't know what that is. They were literally just like pom-poms with eyes. And then the kids who had the moms in the PTAs would have the biggest Weeples. And it was like a huge status symbol. Just like these giant, like testicular looking like Weeples just bouncing off of people's bags. It was like a huge status symbol for like a week or two. That is unfamiliar to me. No part of that sounded like a core memory being unlocked. (laughs) That was a big thing for my elementary school. I have no idea why they made us sell magazine subscriptions. It's baffling to me. So support print media, EJ. (laughs) Well, we need that now. Why do you think we are where we are today? Why don't we make kids do that now? (laughs) That would help a lot. (laughs) But anyway, one of the books uh, suggested for kids to read in this program is called Big Wig. And it's a picture book about a kid who dresses in drag. And so Simon & Schuster's description says, When Wig flies off BB's head, she goes from kid to kid, instilling confidence and inspiring dreams in those who wear her. And that sounds so cute, right? That does sound really good. Yeah, it sounds like an adorable book. There's certainly nothing like inherently sexual or offensive about it. It's about a kid who gets confidence from a magic wig. And it like wasn't part of any school curriculum or anything. It was just part of this corporate initiative of suggested books themed for Pride Month. But (laughs) that's not how people like Jack Posobiec saw it. Jack Posobiec said when he saw that Pizza Hut was suggesting that kids read this book, they took everything from us. <laughs> That's what said. And somebody else wrote, Pizza Hut has gone full woke. Now we must make them full broke. Someone, this guy, Nick Adams, um, tried unsuccessfully to start a boycott Pizza Hut movement, encouraging people to go to Papa John's instead. Because Papa John's is like apparently like a bastion of morality. <laughs> I, I know we've talked about um, the Papa John CEO's John Schneider's TikTok. I, I don't know if we've talked about it on the podcast before. No, I don't think we've talked about it on the podcast. It's insane. <laughs> He's, it's insane. It's like really horny and it, and which is really uncomfortable when you consider both that he was ousted in 2018 <laughs> for literally saying the N word on a conference call. Yeah. And also has been accused of sexual misconduct multiple times by former employees. So... Very weird. His TikTok is very weird. Don't support. And also Papa John's is disgusting. Yeah, it's the worst of the pizza chains. I was going to ask you this because I actually I am not all that familiar with like where the different pizza chains stand in like the hierarchy. We both grew up in places where you're known for the pizza, right? Like it's Chicago right, pizza right, right. is its own thing. New York pizza is its own thing. But we did dabble, you know, like it's sometimes it, and also when like living here, like sometimes you just need a chain pizza. But I will never order Papa John's. It's disgusting. Mm-hmm. I would say we were like big Little Caesars fans in really high school. Like why? The reason why we always got it was because we'd have like these like after parties for the plays and musicals. So we'd always order Little Caesars (laughs) because it was $5 for like a large pizza. It it always comes back to the theater, the high school theater. It's always, there's always a theater reason, but they had like a really good deal where it was like $5 for a pizza. And so we would just like order like five pizzas and everyone put in like two bucks. You know, it's just like insane shit like that. I think Domino's is like of, of all the pizza, I've tried Pizza Hut. I've tried 
Papa John's and I've tried I, I used to eat Domino's like actually when I was a really little kid my father was like this is this is like borderline abusive behavior <laughs> I feel like as I describe it now but he is a New Yorker who went to school in Buffalo and thus would not allow any subpar pizza or chicken wings in the house so like <laughs> When he was out of the house, my mother and my sister and me, we'd be like, oh, it's time to order Domino's. And we would get like all of this like deep dish pizza, pepperoni pizza and like all the wings that we could possibly order. And just yeah. like gorgeous. And I, re- I remember really like thinking their wings were very good. Yeah, they have good wings at Domino's. But people got really, you know, people wanted to single out Pizza Hut. They got really mad at Pizza Hut, even though Pizza Hut, like I was I was looking into like some of the people who have like been spokespeople for Pizza Hut. Like it's it's people like Donald Trump. It's people like Rush Limbaugh. Rush mm. Limbaugh did a commercial for Pizza Hut in like 2010. Weird. Before he before he kicked the bucket. I told you the country was going to move to the right. I was right. And when I predicted the outcome of the elections, bango, right, right, right again. But it's a burden being right all the time. You know what I mean? So for the first time ever, I'm actually going to do something wrong. I'm going to eat my pizza crust first. Introducing stuffed crust pizza from Pizza Hut. When I think of great pizza, I think of Rush Limbaugh. Like, if you're on the right, like, I don't understand. Why would you get mad at a company that had Rush Limbaugh as its spokesmodel? <laughs> I mean, at this point, this is basically happening every week, right? Like, people are trying to get clout on social media. So they're, like, scanning corporations' Pride Month initiatives to find something, like, offensive or targeted at children and trying to pressure companies to back down. And it has worked. Like, that's the crazy thing. Like, just last week, State Farm went through a similar campaign and it ended up terminating its support with this initiative that supplied books about the LGBTQ experience to public schools. They dealt with like 12 hours of like shitty tweets from people on the right. And they're like, oh, okay, All right. We'll we'll just give up. We're not going to do this then. Like stuff that like you and I deal with like on a daily basis. They just like couldn't handle. But Pizza Hut, to its credit, has not backed down or issued a statement yet but this is like basically part of a lengthy history of the GOP like weaponizing these harmless educational initiatives aimed at normalizing the LGBTQ experience like I don't know if you remember do you remember drag queen story hours I do it was this really cute program where it was what it sounds like drag queens would come and read stories to little kids and there was a tremendous backlash against it where a lot of these events were being canceled following like because they would get death threats and these drag queens would be accused of trying to groom children and this has really only gotten worse and it's only ramped up on social media in the past year or so I mean, my theory is that the rise of conspiracy theories like QAnon yeah. have sort of like normalized people wanting to see ulterior motives everywhere. I don't know if you have any like any other theories. I, don't know, I think it's also just emblematic of the fact that we've never pr- progressed as much as we think we have. Like, obviously, there is a lot more representation. But I mean, I don't know, like the more representation there is, there just is more reasons for the more conservative minded to find like, you know, more elaborate excuses to make it seem like people who are in any sort of minority or seem to be any sort of threat to the norm, their norm is like somehow a real violent threat in that way. So, you know, it's just, it's just because there are more opportunities. They, I feel like their excuses have become more extreme. Yeah, I think so. And I think all their tactics have become a lot more extreme. This has also really made me want to, order pizza Hut. yeah i kind of really want pizza now yeah it sounds it sounds really good i will say my fi- my final word on on the pizza debates that we're, we've had <laughs> in the middle of this serious topic 
is that? I mean, none of them compared to like, uh, just like DiGiorno's, you know? Like, I'd much rather have a DiGiorno pizza. What about an Amy's? Amy's is actually really good. I hate Amy's pizza. It's just like cardboard. My in-store frozen pizza rankings are Elio's, number one, absolutely a thousand percent. Number two, DiGiorno's. Number three, the cauliflower pizza, which is actually pretty good. Is that the cauliflower? That's the cauliflower crust pizza? Yeah. Oh my God, I want this. I want them all right now, like piled on top of each other. That sounds so good. EJ and I have chosen a very specific interview that appeals to us because we want to do it. It's our podcast. So (laughs) fuck you if you don't like it. So we're both huge reality TV fans. And Netflix's The Circle checks off all of our reality TV boxes. EJ and I are obsessed with the show. So if you haven't seen it, The Circle is a social media themed strategy game. A small group of contestants live in a series of one-bedroom apartments within the same apartment complex, but they're completely isolated from one another. They don't encounter each other until the very end of the show when they reunite and a winner is about to be crowned, but they are, in theory, just like not, they're not seeing each other at all. They live in this apartment and are meant to be isolated. Their only form of communication is the circle chat, which appears on several TVs that are available throughout their apartment unit. And it's basically creates this like kind of MySpace, Facebooky type of social media platform where they can post pictures, they can like have DMs with each other, they can create small group chats, and they can also speak to the entire group in like the one big circle chat. Describing the circle, if you haven't seen the circle, sounds like kind of weird, but it is one of the most entertaining shows I've ever watched in my entire <laughs> life. Because the fun in the game is that you can go in as anyone you want. You can go in as yourself. You can go in as your neighbor, your like cousin. You can go as, in as a complete made up stranger. You can do you could do whatever you want. And the contestants are basically tasked with figuring out who is who they say they are, all while winning what is just one big popularity contest. You have to be likable, even if you are going in as someone who is uh, from a different generation, a different gender, different sexuality, different like career, whatever, like if they could be the polar opposite of you, but as long as you're likable and you stick to the story, you can entirely win the circle. And it can also be quite horny, which you can assume is a big reason why EJ and I love the show. Like there's a lot of flirtiness in the chats. Season four was the one that just ended and it was definitely the best season yet of the circle. And it just involved like catfishes that were way more cunning, way smarter. They'd learn from mistakes of past catfishes in previous seasons. There were a ton of like really incredibly twists, very spicy twists, like quite literally they had two spice girls competing in the game. And one of the big twists on this season came in the form of Trevor. So if you've watched The Circle before, you may have immediately recognized Trevor from season two when his wife, Delisa, took home the Circle trophy by pretending to be Trevor. But Trevor, of course, couldn't be himself on the show now. I mean, you know, everyone would have immediately seen the pictures and been like, wait a minute. But he entered The Circle as Amani, a friend of his wife. And he did so well following in his wife's footsteps as a catfish, they came in second place After coming into the show late, because they introduce people throughout the season, so it's not always the same people from episode one that are at the beginning. He came in, like, a few episodes before the finale and still came in second. Which is the kiss of death, usually. Usually the kiss of death, because you need to, it's a popularity contest. Like, you have to be really likable. And he came in second. And people believed that he was this character, Imani. They loved her immediately. And he just lost behind Frank, who is probably one of the most lovable characters that has ever been on The Circle, played himself, was amazing, and I'm very happy that Frank won. Mm -hmm. Well-deserved victory. Yeah. And EJ and I wanted to know more about the catfish king and queen, so we asked Trevor and Delisa to join us this week and discuss some secrets to their Circle success. 
Since EJ and I are Circle super fans, we ended up having a much longer conversation with Delisa and Trevor than we anticipated. And the whole interview was so good that we'll be dropping the full thing later this week. You can hear a bit of our conversation now, but make sure to subscribe so you can get alerted when our juicy, spoiler-filled convo with our fave catfish couple drops. I'm wondering, like, what, if anything, did catfishing on the circle teach you about the nature of being active on social media in 2022? I think every in general, people look at catfish like what like what is wrong with you? Like, why can't you just be yourself or whatever? You know, like when I came into the game, I'm like, oh, it's a game. I expect the catfishes like I'm not going to take it personal. But playing a catfish and still embodying like part of myself in these conversations, I come to realize. And then, you know, the fact that I went in as a catfish for a reason, people catfish for a reason. And we don't necessarily have to agree with these reasons, but for them, like that doesn't mean that it's not, you know, a serious situation for them. If, if that makes sense. Like if, so, like for me, like I went in as a guy, you know, like let's say in the real world, I was catfishing on social media as a guy because I felt like so much pressure being a woman, I was going to be judged being drama you know, just because somebody can look at my situation and say, man, you're being ridiculous. Like, just be yourself. Like, being yourself is so much better. Mm-hmm. Yes, it's true. Being yourself is so much better, but you don't know the trauma. You don't know what I've experienced in my life to choose me to go that route. You know, like, you can't judge me because I'm using a different face because I'm still giving pieces of me. So it's like, I guess that's that's what my takeaway would be is that catfishes are not always you know, the bad guys. There is nothing more himbo than a himbo who thinks he's smart when he is in fact quite dumb. And to me, nobody fits that category more than Charlie Puth. Brittany, right before we started recording this podcast, Brittany said, this is your himbo choice. I want nothing to do with this. You lay in the bed you made, EJ. (laughs) Explain your feelings about Charlie Puth. I know. I'm so over him. So over him. There was a period of time when I kept seeing him on Raya when I was like, you know what? I, I would date Charlie Puth, but now I just find him so insufferable. Like, I'm sorry. I don't need to see his dick print every time I go on TikTok. Like, I'm over it. (laughs) <laughs> I'm bored. I'm I'm it's done for me. I I completely understand that because he he has been a TikTok famous himbo for a very long time because the primary reason why is because he famously has perfect pitch. And like everyone who claims to have perfect pitch, he is famously unable to talk about anything else. That's the only thing that he wants to talk about. Hi, I'm Charlie. And these are the notes of things I hear throughout the day. Ooh, that was an F sharp. That was an F major. Johnny, sing another note. The only thing worse than a regular nerd uh, is a music nerd. We are famously (laughs) anti-nerd on this podcast. Ban nerds. Boo. Boo. Not a fan of nerds. If you're a nerd, shut this off right now. (laughs) This isn't for you. (laughs) We are gatekeeping this podcast from nerds. And Charlie pretty much like proves that like recently, however, he managed to top his obnoxiousness with this bustle profile that in my opinion, honestly, didn't get as much attention as it should have because he gave a number of really insane quotes. Um, It was called Charlie Puth is horny on Maine. 
which it was both a very good and very easy headline because the piece is basically about how obsessed Charlie is with sex. He says he used to masturbate to Maroon 5 and he told Adam Levine that. And Adam Levine, to his credit, was like, no, that's weird. Don't tell me that. <laughs> he, he, he tells a story about how he swiped his V-card. He lost his virginity to a fan at 21 in Boston, no less. Oh, that's cursed. So cursed. The worst city in the country. Definitely the worst city to swipe your V-card in. Yeah. And he says he can't get hard during sex because he'll just be too busy analyzing the music and will lose his erection. So, Brittany, I think you made a good call ignoring him on Raya. (laughs) I will never forgive Charlie Puth. In another infamous profile of him from years ago, it was a Billboard cover story on him. He famously said that he was hungies instead of hungry. What? He was like, I'm hungies as an adult man who had lost his virginity in Boston. (laughs) said no. I'm hungies. So, I mean, maybe that's what he, that's what he deserves to lose his virginity in, in Boston. What's worse, saying hungies as an adult man or being Laura M- Bush and I would Laura Bush him. <laughs> but what's worse? <laughs> what's worse in like your moral opinion? Oh, morally? Yes. Hungies. <laughs> yeah, I think so too. I think you're right. A thousand percent. Laura Bush had her reasons. You know, allegedly it was, you know, allegedly she had her reasons, but, you know, it was an accident, says legally. (laughs) I was thinking the whole time, how are we going to bring this up again? How are we going to bring this up again? And I think legally it was an accident. St. Hungies was not an accident on Charlie Puth's part. So morally, I find that to be worse. Yeah, I I agree with you. And I also I have no doubt that he fully volunteered all this information. Like, as, as I was saying before, I think there is a benefit to being an interviewer who is really good at like encouraging people to be the worst like versions of themselves. But I don't think that's what happened here. The interviewer seemed just like continuously shocked at the direction that the interview was going in. I mean, I would never ask these questions to a subject like when did you lose your virginity or like what songs did you use to master? Would you? I will say like I would absolutely not ask any of these questions, but maybe I should. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) But like, I think I don't know. There are certain artists I have come to realize over the years that just they really just can't stop talking like they just will really like word vomit and that's honestly the majority of artists they just really love to word vomit some are more egregious than others and charlie puth clearly is like again like the fact that i still remember hungies (laughs) from this cursed like that billboard profile overall was on a on an equal playing field of cursed in terms of content i don't remember all of it but hungies obviously sticks out the most but like Yeah, I think this is just his vibe. Like, this is just how he is. Ultimately, I don't think it's, like, harmful. Nothing really strikes me as, like, quote-unquote problematic about this. Yeah, no, this is not... None of it's bad. It's just annoying. It's just annoying. Yeah, it's just annoying. It's, like, the most wholesome kind of annoying there is. (laughs) Like, just a really wholesome genre of terrible. He's like that kid in elementary school who just, like just would do gross things to like get people's attention yeah and like tell everyone he'd be like oh look how many boogers i stuck under the desk (laughs) and it's like why did you have to tell me that i didn't want to know it stick with what your weird thing is like i i didn't need to know stick with your perfect pitch keep talking about your perfect pitch it's mostly compulsive like it's it's like how sizza and dakota johnson love to lie yeah like charlie puth can't stop talking about being horny and honestly now that we're 36 episodes in same yeah it's true. I mean, it's it's a little relatable. It is somewhat relatable. Yeah. I'm neither hungies. Well, actually, I'm kind of hungies now that we talked about pizza for so long. Oh, I'm very hungies. <laughs> <laughs> so maybe maybe it's more relatable than I thought. <laughs> 
but I would never have sex in Boston. Thank God. Hold on, you were scrolling for way too long now. Maybe you should get some food, get some water, and then come back later. Thanks so much for listening to Don't Let This Flop. Please share this podcast with someone you love or someone you hate. Either way, we don't care which one. Just no nerds. <laughs> this podcast is brought to you by Rolling Stone and Cumulus Podcast Network, written and hosted by me, Brittany Spanos, and EJ Dixon. Executive produced by Jason Fine, Bridget Chelsea, and Elizabeth Garber-Paul. And produced by Jesse Cannon, with music by Brian DeMeglio.